Welcome to Get Up in the Cool, old time music with Cameron DeWitt and friends. This week's friend is Chirp Smith, and uh, I'm really excited to be able to say that. I'm always a little nervous when I get guests on the show that are a big deal because I don't know if they're going to act like a big deal and maybe make me feel a little bit small and insecure. But the moment Chirps walked in, I was immediately disarmed and endeared to him and his ponytail and chipper smile, which was great because it freed up my brain to focus on keeping up with him musically. No small task. We recorded this over Labor Day weekend in Chicago at the Midwest Sing and Stomp. So special thanks to Dan McDonald, aka Spitzer Space Telescope, and the old Lazarus Harp Folk Collective for hiring and hosting us. It's October, which means it's Get Up in the Cool month. I'm featuring my best interviews from 2017 back to back this month, and in return, I hope you won't mind the slightly longer intros and outros asking for help promoting and funding the show. The best way to tell me you like the show and want me to keep making it is to sign up on Patreon. Since I first aired Get Up In The Cool back in July 2016, 50 of you have signed up to give me money every time I release a new episode, which is amazing. Uh, That money helped me buy my own equipment so I could give my friends mics back, rent a car for my Boston trip last winter, and fund lots of other trips around the country to record the show. Next year, I'm hoping to use Patreon funds to purchase airfare to the Portland Old Time Gathering and the East Vancouver Old Time Social. I'm actually feeling so supported and encouraged and taken care of that I think it's time to pay some of that forward. I've never mentioned it on the show before, but Get Up in the Cool guests have always been unpaid. It's never really been an issue. I'm always blown away at my guests' generosity with their time. Uh, Some of them have even given me money and signed up on Patreon, which is so humbling it's almost shameful. Which has led me to my decision about what to do with this month's pledges. All new or increased Patreon pledges made in the month of October 2016 will go exclusively to my guests from this episode on. Last year's Get Up in the Cool month raised about $40 an episode. Uh, Last month, I wasn't even laying it on that thick and y'all pledged an additional $25 an episode. So my goal for this month is to raise an additional $50 an episode, which will go to every guest when I release their episode, starting with Chirps. If you raise more, they'll get a bigger check. That's my announcement, folks. Please, I'm begging you, make it rain on my guests the better half of this show. (laughs) Just go to CameronDoIt.com and click the button that says Patreon and choose a level that works for you. Oh, and there's rewards and stuff. More on that later. In the meantime, here's my jam and chat with Chirp Smith. Enjoy. Thank you. 
dramatic ending. Yes, very. <laughs> Chirp Smith, welcome to Get Up in the Cool. Why, thank you. Yeah. So we're in um, uh, Spitzer Space Telescope's uh, art studio. Um, he's <laughs> one of the uh, founding members of Old Lazarus Harp uh, oh. here in Chicago. And uh, yeah, we're surrounded by paintings and painters. And, Looking uh, out the Chicago skyline. Yeah. It's... Uh, Really good to be here, and I'm really glad that you made some time to come out before the uh, Midwest Sing and Stomp, yep. uh, I believe the second annual. So, um, I don't know much about you. All I know is that uh, uh, after I recorded uh, Adam Hurt last year at Rockbridge, he said, you make sure and catch the Volo Bog Trotters <laughs> for the dance, because they are one of the best. No, he, he didn't say one of. He said they are the best dance band currently alive today and uh i was like oh okay i'll, I'll make sure to do that then <laughs> um, well, it'll be fun i guarantee yeah and uh <laughs> um so that's the only association i have with you volo bog trotters and i heard your name around a bunch but other than that i'm pretty ignorant about your story uh i know that midwest fiddle tunes are in there somewhere and important but yep. take me to the beginning how did you get into playing uh, traditional music? Well, in the beginning, back in the dark ages. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was trying to play guitar and that wasn't working out very well. What kind of guitar were you trying to play? Just, you know, acoustic guitar. Listen to country music and okay. rock and roll and stuff. But I was kind of leaning more towards uh, traditional music. And mm -hmm. I, I always found that as I went back into the history of various tunes I heard, you know, that I, the farther back I went, the more I liked it. <laughs> sure, I guess there was a time when rock. You know, and roll you would hear was... like uh, Eric Clapton play right. a tune, and and they'd say that he learned it from John Lee Hooker or something. Right, you right. Know? And so when I hear this John Lee Hooker guy, I go, Yeah, now that's cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but so that was kind of like my pro progress into the into the past. Very good. And then. Uh, I went to a bluegrass festival with some friends down in Renfro Valley, Kentucky, and uh, that was a pretty awesome experience. And I, I was taken by mandolins, you know. I thought, oh, man, that was really cool. And in 1970, I saw Ry Cooter play down at Southern, Southern Illinois University, and he played some mandolin stuff, which I thought was really cool. And uh, How old were you at that time? <clears throat> I was about 22 or so. Okay, cool. And, uh, so at that time, you only knew how to play guitar? Yeah, well, I wouldn't say I knew how to play guitar. Okay. <laughs> I knew how to play some chords on a guitar. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that distinction. Which is still the same thing, yeah. <laughs> only with 40 years less practice. Uh -huh. <laughs> and, uh, well, I, I don't know. I was, I was trying to learn this stuff, and a friend, a friend of mine, you know, I finally got this, like, the world's worst mandolin ever made by human hands. <laughs> I don't know if it was made by human hands. I don't know. And somehow I managed to stick with it long enough to learn how to play. But I started playing with the guy named Gary Harrison, whom you may have heard of. Yes, and, uh, certainly. We formed a group called the Indian Creek Delta Boys. And in the early 70s, you know, like a Fuzzy Mountain String Band, their, their records were coming out, and they were, like, collecting stuff from all these old-timers in the mountains. <clears throat> and we decided... There's got to be fiddlers around here, you know. Let's yeah. go see if the, where they are around here, you know. And one of the first ones we came across was a fellow named Harvey Pappy Taylor. 
And uh, that was a good one to run into at first because he always kept playing and remembered probably every damn tune he ever thought of, you know, (laughs) or heard. So we learned a ton of music from him. And then that started off, you know, you've probably seen the Dear Old Illinois book that Gary published. Mm -hmm. uh, Yeah, uh, that's a lot. There's a ton of Illinois music in there, Midwestern music, you know, collected in Illinois. Yeah, what was it? Um, when when did Gary Harrison die? Uh, let's see. That would be about. I think it's four years ago. I'm, I'm how, how many? Four, three or four years ago. So not that long no, ago. Not that long ago. Wow. Well, maybe I, I forget exactly. I'm I'm bad with remembering dates. You know? Right. I remember the events, but not the dates. Yeah. So, um, I as far as I know, he's as one of the most like prolific tune writers well there's tons of prolific tune writers i guess he's he's one of the most well like uh regarded tune writers and people actually play his tunes yeah you hear his tunes everywhere (laughs) yeah did you get to like see him conceive some of those like not really i've heard well maybe i don't don't Uh know you never really know yeah (laughs) He would record little things. I have I had heard some of the tapes, you know, of him yeah. working on things, you know, and, and how they ended up and stuff. And, yeah. and actually, I kind of revived one that he threw off in the in the scrap heap. Yeah. Called Fish and Limber, which I recorded on my uh, CD. Oh, very good. Down in Fish the Fish and Limber. Fishing. Fishing. Fish limber. limber. <laughs> which Gary told me meant you were intoxicated. Very good. <laughs> Huh. But uh, he used uh, the second part of that tune, yeah. kind of lifted that out of there and put it in the tune they called Old Bob, which you may have heard of. Uh, yes, I think I've played that so one they're before. Kind of the, you can hear that bit in there. But I, I came across it on a tape, you know, and I knew it was Gary playing. I go, what the hell is this? <laughs> <laughs> and I learned it. I played it for Gary, you know. I sent him a recording. I said, what is this? <laughs> he says, well, that's Fish and Limber. <laughs> says, you might want to make a different second part for that, because I kind of used that uh-huh. for old Bob. And I, I listened to old Bob. I said, yeah, I, I can hear it there, but uh-huh. it's a little bit different. And I just liked the way it flowed. So uh-huh. a lot of people play that one now, too. <laughs> well, let's, um, let's play this uh, Stumptail Dog. Is this an Illinois tune? This is an Illinois tune that we collected from... Well, Gary recorded this from a fellow named Howard Sims that lived in Modesto, Illinois. I just can't quite remember. I've I've been researching all these guys and their histories and stuff, and I think he might have been... He was either born in the late 1800s or early 1900s. Died in the 70s or so. Is is he the source for this tune? Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay, awesome. So, like, because there's a lot of stump-tailed there's and then other words, but he's... Dolly, for Stump-tailed dog is from this from this source that Gary yeah, found. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, I never met this guy, but uh, Gary did. And and he used to go to the Illinois State Fiddle Contest and play. He, he won, or won or placed in the over 70 category uh-huh. quite often, I guess, before he passed. Yeah. Neat. But this, I was, I was always taken by this too, and I recorded this on Midwestern Harvest. If you, anybody can find that CD out okay. there. Now. <laughs> it's long out of print.
that one there. I like playing that one for yeah. dances. Very good. Yeah, it's a very it's a very bouncy one. Yeah, well, I, that's me, I guess. Okay. <laughs> I like the rhythmic kind of mowing and stuff. Yeah. I play stuff smooth and then rough. <laughs> yeah, very good. I'm influenced by Isidore Soucy. You know, he was a very rhythmic French-Canadian fiddler. Oh, very good. Isidore Soucy. Yeah. That is a name I've never heard before in really? any permutation. Oh, well, you should look him up. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Uh, so the... Um, I guess I want to ask what differentiates Midwestern fiddling from Appalachian fiddling and maybe other other traditions. Like, are there any large, uh, big, noticeable well, differences? Usually, my my big picture thing about Midwestern fiddling, and of course, there's no hard and fast rules, as yeah. we all know, is that it's just more noty and melodic. Sure. That's you know, and. People play six, eight time tunes and okay. waltzes and shoddishes and things like that, too. Yeah. <laughs> Which they probably did in the Appalachians, too. But uh, So why is it why is it more noty in Midwestern fiddling? Like, do you think I there's a reason no for idea that? Why is it like the demographics or like the different cultures? It just seems or? to be kind of true across the northern part of the country, you know? Yeah. The New England style and... right. Michigan and I mean there was a very rich source of music but it kind of got forgotten because everybody has this myth there's this myth that the, this is all southern music you know, right and, uh, right and right. it's not there's it's right. all over the place you know mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a certain style of south that's cool yeah. certain style of north too you know when you're playing you go up in my neck of the woods in Wisconsin and you say old-time music up there to people and you're talking Maybe accordions and concertina bands playing waltzes and polkas right, and right. shadishes and stuff, and fiddlers too. <laughs> yeah. Is so. there a? I was. I'm always curious. Is there any uh, clawhammer banjo up this far north? Do you hear well, much? we we met a guy well in central Illinois, a guy named Orville Hale. I think there was more of it around. I know. I in my researching of these old uh, fiddle contests and stuff around uh, Illinois they they always had banjos there I don't know what they were doing I don't know right. if they were claw hammer or if they were playing you know like Three classic finger. ragtime right stuff you know probably both yeah. they were probably doing both mm. <laughs> um, I, I met a guy once he was in a nursing home was close to a hundred years old and uh, that would be in the in, 1970s sometimes mm-hmm. when I make him born in the 1870s I guess uh, and uh, he had played fiddle and claw hammer banjo down they used to play on river boats and everything around he lived in at that time he was living in Rosie Claire or Golconda Illinois <laughs> he didn't play anymore but I got out of banjo and I was demonstrating you know uh-huh. I don't really play claw hammer anything like this you know as I would do and he said yeah that's what they uh-huh. <laughs> When you uh, when you play with southern players, do you have to change anything about the way that you play? Or? Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, listen to say Clark Kessinger. Mm-hmm. He's a West Virginia fiddler, but he plays more like he sounds more Midwestern, like Bobby Taylor does. What Bobby Taylor learned from Clark Kessinger. You yeah. know? I guess yeah, West Virginia is like. So, but that's true all over. You know, you hear people in Illinois that play in a more rhythmic, uh, quote unquote, 
southern style right. you know <laughs> now is that because they heard southern fiddlers or that because there is like a different tradition no, i think in illinois that, i for... think that the well illinois was settled by people coming from somewhere else you know like sure like this whole country was right <laughs> yeah and uh a lot of them were illinois kind of got settled from the south to the north for mm. the most part you know because that's where the rivers come together down there by Cairo. and uh well, like my like my ancestors, they came out of Connecticut to New York to Ohio, and yeah. my great great grandfather came down, walked from up by Lake Erie down to Southern Illinois, and mm-hmm. settled down there in the 1840s. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the music uh, was traveling around in all kinds of strange forms. Plus, they were just immigrants here. Yeah. You know, we we recorded one guy named Charles Myrna. He he was he was from Czechoslovakia or whatever whatever it was called back then. I mean, right. At the time, it was under the umbrella of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Right. And I think I determined uh, in my research that it may have come from Silesia, uh, which is like a northern part of the Czech Republic. Huh. You know? But all those places used to be little countries all to themselves, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and they've been, you know, lumped and reorganized by outsiders for years, <laughs> centuries now. <laughs> yeah. Which causes a lot of trouble in the world, I guess. But <laughs> So along Appalachia, yeah. like there's these really specific county traditions mm-hmm. that like people are um, really dedicated to like learning the bow patterns right. of and and like melodic pathways of different counties. Yeah. Is there an analog to that in the Midwest? Oh, I I imagine there probably yeah. is to a certain extent. But I've never been one to the one that like just totally, I you know play identically. Yeah. How somebody else played. You know? I hear the tunes, I get them in my head, and then I sure. play them my way. Sure, sure. But I'm sure most people do do that. But, to some extent, to yeah. whether they know it or not. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> is, do you feel like the, um, let's just say the Illinois like sound, like, I, I feel like there's been so much of a focus on the South, on fiddling in the right. South, um, and uh, the revival of, you know, and like Tommy Jarrell and Fred Cockrum, you know, and like yeah. people going down and visiting. Are there people? I visited Tommy Jarrell. Really? Awesome. <laughs> Me and Gary Harrison stayed at his house for a couple of days. That's great. <laughs> that was fun. Um, do you do you feel like there are any um, are there any younger folks um, bringing up the tradition of like Midwestern fiddling specifically? And mm-hmm. I'm pretty ignorant to like the scene. So, well, my friend AJ Shrubus up in uh, Minnesota, he's a really good Irish fiddler, but he got bitten by the old time fiddle bug, and now that's what he plays is I think he can play everything that I've ever thought about playing <laughs> he's one of those guys who can just learn everything you know right quick and yeah he's taking up pedal steel now oh cool I'm really good at that now man what a What's magical he likes strange play, instrument uh, <laughs> he likes to play everything from honky tonk to midwest fiddle tunes you yeah know? And he's quite good at it. So, and he's really focuses on learning stuff from specifically like me or Gene Goforth. You yes. know, people like just, he just listens to everything they do. And then pretty soon like, he can play pretty much everything they did. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why, and all of the, the fellows that he plays with up there, you know, Aaron and all those guys. 
they, uh, they're all really good players up there. So they're they're learning a lot of Midwestern style stuff. Yeah. And of course, there's people in Missouri. You know, God, I can't think of the guy's name. He's kind of an apprentice of Pete McMahon. You know, he's keeping like Pete McMahon was a great Missouri fiddler. Mm. If you ever heard the tune Gill Saw, that's one I learned from Pete. Hmm, that name sounds familiar. Yeah. Hmm. <clears throat> well, next on the list is um, Hooker's Hornpipe. Oh yes, which. Uh, I got this from Taylor McBain. Taylor McBain. He lived around Boonville. And maybe this is a rug hooker? <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't yeah. know. I think it's named after a, a, a general hooker. Oh, right. Didn't you say there's some sort of yeah. recording that someone was like, is this yeah. a rug hooker? R.P. Christensen said something. I'm okay. making some joke along that line. Okay. <laughs> Great. General or it hooker. could be, refer to the, the hookers uh, yeah. of the evening, too. Yeah. Who knows? But okay. I, I think it's probably a general. <laughs> we'll start it out.
tune. Yeah, it sounded good on the banjo. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's got all the notes in it, doesn't it? It does. It all the good. notes. Use all of them. Yeah. <laughs> it's just what you were talking about. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I feel like most of the Midwestern tunes that I've heard feel pr- pretty logical. Mm-hmm. Like they, well, maybe, maybe that's a, There's a not prob- as many crookedy ones, but yeah. there are some. <laughs> maybe that's a problematic statement because I'm sure that like, you know, uh, crooked tunes or tunes that are outside of my paradigm are maybe logical to people in different paradigms. Yeah. But like to me, it, it fits my logic of how like Western music like works. Right, like, right. It has like a pretty clear chord progression. Uh, here we are by the rail yard. Yeah. <laughs> uh, has a pretty clear chord progression and the the note pathways kind of more or less make sense to me. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of notes, but I feel like for the most part, I'm guessing what they're going to be and they fit and close they, enough. You usually can make a pretty good guess. Yeah, know. yeah. <laughs> Whereas um, when I'm trying to learn like, um, let's say like a calico tune or, or something. Or a Mississippi tune. Or a Mississippi tune. <laughs> I have no idea what's going on. Yeah. And I, uh, why do you why do you suppose that is? I don't know. I'm I'm sure there's 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 idiosyncratic pieces everywhere. I'm sure, and I'm sure there's some in the Midwest. You know. Yeah. Are there any like uh, Midwestern just like sort of bonkers tunes that like you would have to like steep yourself in before? <laughs> I play one weird little one that I got from a guy named Alan Woodard down in uh, Virgins, Illinois, called the Old Red Barn. Do you want to play it? I can play it for you right quick. Cool. I'll I'll just listen. If I can think of it.
that that definitely fits the bill. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that can be done on the Clawhammer banjo. <laughs> Does I wasn't stomping along. Does that? Does that stay like with the pulse, or does I it cut the pulse? Exactly, you know, it kind of messes with it. I mean, it messes with my head. I yeah. <laughs> Smith uh, transcribed that one for you. Somebody wanted to was putting together a book and wanted to have you know different types of tunes in there, and it asked me if I contribute some. So I, <laughs> Smith came over and recorded about four or five of them from me, including that one, yeah. videoed them and everything, and transcribed them, and then the project never happened. So <laughs> <laughs> well, next time. Next time we play, bring that transcription. And I'll just sight read it because that might be easier than trying to understand it without music. Yeah, it's just kind of a weird thing. But What's it, it called? Old Red Barn. Old Red Barn. Yeah. Huh. He was an interesting fellow. He played kind of a. It was like a tenor banjo, only it was like wood, mm. wood body, wood top, and everything round, longer neck, and it sometimes he would. Keep Wait, what do you mean wood top? Yeah, it didn't it was like a tenor banjo, but it didn't have skin. It had wood. Oh, interesting. It's like sort of like a round tenor guitar, sort of. Interesting. Only with eight strings. Okay. And then he would capo it up and play it like a mandolin sometimes. So. Interesting. <clears throat> it was made in Carbondale, nineteen thirty-eight, as I recall. Weird ass instrument. There. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get the impression that they're. Uh, there was a lot of instrument making. I think there's making. a picture of him holding that instrument in Deerville, Illinois. I get the impression there's a lot of instrument making and experimentation that happened like uh, in the early 20th century oh, yes. and late 19th century that like, I, I don't know why those instruments don't necessarily, people aren't making new ones. Maybe it's just because they were trying to figure out what sound well, with all the, the banjoid everything. Uh, banjo yeah, the banjo banjification of everything. Yeah, <laughs> the banjification. Yeah, I came across a weird instrument. I, I like I said, I've been researching all these fiddlers. You know, looking in newspaper records and and uh, ancestry, you know, records and everything. And there was this guy named George A. LeBeau in Bloomington, Illinois, and his. His daughter became, you know, music teacher and musician. He was a fiddler, and she was really interested in. She saw somebody playing a xylophone or something. So, mm-hmm. so he, he says, "Well, you, you save a bunch of cans, and I'll make you a xylophone." So <laughs> she, she played this, like she saved up thirty-two tin cans of various sizes. And he like hammered them into tune, uh-huh. you know, somehow or another. <laughs> put them on and built this thing. I saw a picture of it in a newspaper article. I go, holy crap! I mean, she took this. Apparently, she could play it quite well. And, Interesting. Uh, and I saw a picture of her in the newspaper. She was eighty-three years old, and she had that thing out there. And, and uh, but she took it to New York City and played on the radio. And the uh-huh. this was when like nineteen forty-five or forty-four or something during World War Two, and the. People liked it so much that they wanted her to, to go over and entertain the troops, you know. Wow. <laughs> the USO, or USO shows, you know, but she just couldn't go that long, you know. I wonder if there's like a tradition of like um, folk xylophones because <laughs> yeah. it makes sense as like a folk well, instrument. Well, you just I get mean, they're, they're all over Africa, that's right. for sure. <laughs> I wonder if there's like, if there's more of that in the Americas. I don't know. People, you know, had to make do. You right. know, they had to make their own stuff. Yeah. Interesting. And some people made fiddles and 
made really crude fiddles and some people really you know could look at it and figure out i mean like gary harrison taught himself to build and this is one he built huh right did here. he use like a a, a book or something yeah. or just found some sort just, of old manual for it yeah and, i think he found some violin making things and huh. we knew violin makers so we probably got some pointers from some of them i think he got the wood for this from uh, chris german did he was he a, a luthier like did he sell violins and stuff yeah, i bought this one from you him. bought that one from him <laughs> other people have bought instruments from him he was he'd started making these uh what he called two pointers i had these points on the upper bouts here and then these were then it was just smooth all the way around there just i'm not sure if i understand like if you just went straight through there and just lopped that off oh interesting so it's just curvy so for the people at home who can't hear it's uh it just has, you know, You're those taking little... off the two lower points yeah. of the violin. So just the upper two are there. Interesting. And that was from uh, just for a guy it... named Williamson Hamlin. You may have heard some of, some of his tunes go, were getting the, passed. The Hamlin over. Collection? Right. I was just at uh, Clifftop, and there's a there's a ham jam. It's all, <laughs> all, his, all those tunes. Well, Gary, actually, I think Bruce Taggart down in... Southern Indiana. They lived in Southern Indiana around Brown County, and uh, Williamson Hamlin made those fiddles. He made them like that, and Bruce actually Neat. had one of his fiddles, and huh. Gary got it and took measurements and everything, and was building those. And was that just an aesthetic choice, or I guess, yeah. Huh. Well, I mean, there there was a tradition of cornerless violins, right? You know, so this was just partially cornerless. Interesting. <laughs> Those are stems that are just curved, you know, they don't have any points on them at all. And people have made those in modern times, and they were made in olden days, too, you know. People were always tinkering with everything, you know. Yeah. Of course, you play the most tinkerable yes. instrument ever, you know. <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard the word tinkerable before. <laughs> I think I just made that. I wonder if anyone's ever used that word. <laughs> I like it a lot. Yeah, ban the banjo is certainly... Yeah, my buddy, extremely my tinkerable. Buddy Dave Landreth, he's always tinkering with banjos. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's see what he's really into his six-string banjo that he got. Like, oh uh, man, not I've a been, guitar, but you know. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like a, I've been kind of wanting to get one of those. Thing, yeah. Uh, he loves it. It's funny. People have um, people get all uh, kind of pretentious sometimes about like, what do you need a, another string for? I, basses are the same way. Like, you know, like five string basses and stuff. It's five like, string oh. fiddles. Everybody's playing those. Oh, these yeah. Days. <laughs> yeah. But people like turn their, you know, uh, nose up at it. But I, I think but, it's cool. I think it's cool. <laughs> and from what I understand, it's very traditional. Like people were making like people six, seven, well, eight camp. string banjos. That and, was very popular in, in the 1880s and yeah. 90s in England, especially. All those weird English banjos. <laughs> I would love to have one. I have, it would... I have one at home, a zither banjo. Wait, what do you mean by that? A zither? A zither banjo. That's what they called them. You say zither or zither? Zither. Zither, okay. Zither banjo. I think they called it that because like some of the strings were metal and some of the strings were you know, gut or whatever. Interesting. Like the lower strings were gut. Interesting. But that one... There's, there's no fifth string peg out there. The string just goes through the neck and up to another tuner up there. Oh, interesting. So there's like nothing in your way there. You know? <laughs> it's a weird banjo. Uh-huh. 
it would certainly make it's one of those things where you know you have the the resonator kind of thing all carved out and then all the works just kind of set down in there and screwed into Mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying there it's it's a strange thing and somebody inlaid a little irish thruppence up there at the thruppence yeah what is that three three pence thruppence a thrupp okay interesting Old old time, you know, English Irish money. Yeah, <laughs> shillings and pence and all them. So there's a coin in, yeah, in there, in, in the, set. Yeah. Very cool. I want to see it. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Yeah, they're they're around. So in a sort of like um, whimsical moment when we were choosing tunes, we ended up choosing uh, three die tunes. Yes. So yes. the rest of the set is all die tunes. Yes. These are tunes to die for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very good. So, um, Coradai is Cora first step on the list. This one comes from Illinois, and I'm blanking on who we learned it from.
hopefully people won't come in right back to the show and say, hey, that's not Coradire. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it is. <laughs> well, it's certainly what you said was Coradire. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> they get tangled up anymore in my head. Yeah. Do you know what Coradire is? I think it's somebody's name. Oh, okay. Yeah. So Dye is a last name, yeah, like D-Y-E? Yeah. As in Like I said, I just found coloring. A, a fiddler in northern Illinois that was named Myrtle Dye. Yeah. Spelled D-Y-E. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. I have no idea what she played like. Uh-huh. <laughs> I've been happy to find that there actually are women fiddlers, you know, in the, in the, in the Illinois tradition. Very good. So, well, didn't hear very many of them. I know, I know in some of the contests uh, later on in the you know 70s and stuff, there got to be some like Kathleen Ports and mm. Bertha Bratt. And that, so. that is something that's always a little like troublesome about like <laughs> going back to um, you know trying to transmit the tradition, mm-hmm. which often is very masculine. Yep. So it's like. Uh, I, I want it to be extremely diverse going forward, racially and like and gender and uh, yeah, and not it, heteronormative. It was pretty white and, and male, you know. Yes. Like, although, I mean, there, as we all know, black people were playing this music as much as anybody else was. <laughs> yes, but the ones who were recorded are you yeah, know, so exactly. often. Yeah. Um, I got a few of them, you know, Jim Booker. You yeah. Know, and, uh, Samantha Bumgarner. She was she was a clawhammer player from. Mm. North Carolina or Virginia or somewhere got recorded on 78s you know so that was one woman I wonder if anyone's musician. done like a, <clears throat> a thesis on uh, on that or made no some doubt. records or <laughs> yeah I'd be really interested to have them on the show because yeah. um, I, I think there's sort of this I this idea that like um, men that the men were just like you know playing fiddle and drinking while the women are doing all the work <laughs> and i wonder to what extent that's true I'm sure everybody was working pretty hard right yeah <laughs> uh but you know i suppose a lot of things that just weren't considered ladylike you know? <laughs> right yeah i've heard i've heard a lot about um uh, fiddles not being allowed in the house in certain certain areas. It's like well, you have to go to the barn to fiddle. You always hear about uh, the the way that everybody learned to fiddle. The way to teach your child to Appalachian play. Appalachian Suzuki. To absolutely, don't touch that fiddle. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking about that with my kid because yeah. right now he he views the instrument as something that's getting that's taking my attention away from him. Right. So right. it's like already the music is kind of this like adversarial Ooh, thing. You have to get a little banjerine. I'm thinking about that for his third birthday. Yeah, trying to get him one. Yeah, if you know anyone who starts at that age, he'll be a force to reckon. Yeah. reckon with later. Yeah. Um, well, let's. Play I wish this. I'd started that. You know, right. <laughs> yeah, me too. Let's play this hob die. Oh, hob die. That comes from Kenny Hall. I think that's where most everybody learned it from. The yeah. Record he did, and he learned it from a. A woman fiddler in Texas. Oh, very good. In the twenties or thirties, maybe thirties, I think. Yeah. Or forties, perhaps. I think Cobb is like a machinery part or something. I have no idea. I, I might that might be somebody else's name. Yeah. <laughs> a guy who limped or something. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> hobbled, hobbled, hobdie. I don't really know what what kind of a tune this is, you know. It's, it's like kind of raggy, yeah, maybe but barely. Kind of, maybe it's kind of a two-step or foxtrot yeah. or something like that. Yeah. 
I'm sure that they did some kind of dance to this, but I don't think you would play this for a square dance right. necessarily. rendition of it ever but that'll do that's fine that that team's really fun yeah it is yeah. i haven't played it for a while but a little, a little rough on that one but such is the, the way of old time fiddling that's that's why this is a jam and not a record <laughs> yeah. um cool if you listen closely to my recordings you'll hear mistakes on every one of them <laughs> happy accidents yes sometimes they are yeah sometimes, sometimes they aren't <laughs> But you hope they just can't cover it up just enough. Yeah. Speaking of your recordings, um, we have one tune left. And generally around this time, I want to say, where can we hear more of your music? And um, you were why, mentioning that why some this CDs afternoon are, at the yeah. Beat Kitchen here in Chicago. <laughs> I'll have to go if edit you this. Set your time machine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so. You said it's like some CDs are out of print, but I'm sure some stuff is available. And where do people find it? And well, the one uh, Midwestern stuff is uh, down in Little Egypt. Very That's good. on the Vigor Tone label. I think you can find that on the CD, maybe. And then uh, 
one of my other groups, uh, New Bad Habits. Well, who's the, tech, the artist on that one? Me. Just your name, Chirp Smith. Well, it's, yeah, it's me, Chirp Smith. But uh, there's Jim Nelson and Jeff Miller yeah. and uh, Dave Landry. Just so people know what some to other search people. for. I have Fred Campo. They all play on there. Yeah. And just to clarify, Chirps, plural. Yes, Chirps. Smith. Where does your yeah? You had a story about your name. Where where does chirps come from? Well, I played mandolin with the Indian Creek Delta Boys. That was the band I was in with Gary and others. And uh, we played for a oh god, what was it? It was some little event in Charleston area or Charleston, Illinois, and they wrote a little newspaper article about about the uh, event. And uh, we're describing the music or something. Included the phrase chirping mandolin. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, Gary Harrison would always give everybody at least at least one nickname, you know. Okay. And I thought it was pretty fitting, you know, because uh, when you hear in bluegrass mandolin, you're always doing those chords. Yes. They call those chops. You know, chop, chop, chop. You're playing the rhythm. But Chops you know. Smith isn't quite no, as good. No, that, that's not what I do. I never did play the chords. I always just played the melody like whatever the fiddle was oh, doing. very good. So I got that. That would be the chirps, I guess. Yeah. It's not. There's uh, some banner flying by out there. It's distracting me. Oh, yeah. I can't read it from here. <laughs> nope. That to fly a little closer. Yeah. I guess I, we're not the target audience. Yeah. <laughs> I'm probably headed to Wrigley Field. Um, so you had... Uh, that album, uh, and then, are then there... the new bad habits. That's me and Dave Landreth and Tim Foss and right. uh, Andy Gribble. You might know some of those folks. Huh? I actually don't. Yeah, I don't know that. Uh, Dave Landreth sounds familiar. He's in St. Louis. Okay. And are there Volo Bogtrotter records no, out there? Well, or do you guys there's not just any play? currently around. You know. Okay. We keep threatening to make another one, but. I... <laughs> Kind of like herding cats, you know, trying right. to get us all gotcha. in the same place at the same time, yeah. and on the same page. <laughs> Aren't you all playing? Uh, not that we're this playing is a club. The dance now tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when when is that? I'm just asking because I want to go. Four to seven. You know. <laughs> four to seven. Great. Right down there, by it's at Grant Park, right? Yeah. Is that the one with the bean? We'll be south of that. I think that portion of the park they call Millennium Park. Okay. So it'd be straight south of there. Cool. Close, close to Michigan Avenue. It's outdoor dance. It's pretty fun. We've played it before. They, they've been doing dances there in the summer for years. You know, yeah. Various kind. You know, they'll have an old time dance of like, like salsa dancing yeah. and thing. You know, different kinds of dance there throughout the summer. Well, Trips, thanks so much for uh, being on the show and taking some time. I know you have a big day today. You yeah, know, so it'll be fun. Thanks for making it a little well, now, bigger. Now they're closer. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What does it say? Uh, it's written backwards. backwards. Why'd they write it backwards? Uh, <laughs> So this last tune is John Die. Yes. Where's this from? This came from a guy named Henry Hall, and he lived around Cave-In Rock, Illinois, which is a town on the Ohio River. And there's a big cave back in the bluffs there, and used to be a haven for riverboat pirates on the. Uh, cool. Back in back in the day. <laughs> I didn't even know there was such a thing as riverboat pirates. Oh, yes, That's there awesome. Were, uh, all along the. Uh, the highway robbers, you know, the, that yeah. was the big highways of the day. You know, Interesting. The, the Ohio and the Mississippi—they were the super mega highways. <laughs> yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And then the smaller roads, you know, like the Illinois River and Missouri River. Well, Missouri is pretty big too. Yeah. So it's amazing, you know, like how much water comes out of 
out of the United States and ends up in the Mississippi going to the yeah. Gulf. I mean, it's probably emptying most everything between the Appalachians and the Rockies. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty cool. If you want to hear more of Chirp's music, you can find links to his albums in the episode description on your device or on the Get Up in the Cool Facebook page. I even found some rare copies of Midwestern Harvest on Amazon for like $60. Chirp's wasn't kidding. And there's an album of the Indian Creek Delta Boys available for order and download on the Field Recorders Collective Bandcamp page. So go check it out. If you want to support Get Up in the Cool and help pay my guests, go to CameronDeWitt.com and click the button that says Patreon. There you'll find all the levels at which you can support the show with their accompanying rewards like on-air shoutouts, weekly bonus tracks, mp3 downloads, and monthly online banjo hangouts. Once again, all new pledges and pledge increases this month are going to every guest of the show from now on, starting with Chirps, so show them some love and sign up. My goal is to raise an additional $50 an episode that I can give to every guest for the next year. 
If you're unable to give money right now, a great way to support the show this month is to like and follow Get Up In The Cool on Facebook, then react and share all the episodes and tag friends who you think might be interested. Let's make old time break the internet again. Just a couple more things before I go. Former guest of the podcast, Jake Blunt, and I are playing a show together in West Philly on Thursday, October 26th. It's going to be a really good show. We're putting together an awesome set. I would really like for you to be there. I'll link the event in the episode's description, and I'll be promoting it in the coming weeks, so I could probably use your help spreading it around. Finally, I'm very proud to announce my new podcast that I make with my dear friend Nathan Hunt. It's called Think Outside the Box Set, and the first two episodes are up on iTunes or wherever podcasts are found. I've included an extended promo at the end of this episode, so stick around to check it out. Just a word of warning, Think Outside the Box Set is a show for adults, and we say a lot of cusses, and our humor is very blue, so steal yourself. Thanks for listening, friends. Come back same time next week to get up in the cool. Welcome to Think Outside the Box Set, a podcast about learning to appreciate an artist's back catalog. I'm Nathan Hunt. And I'm Cameron DeWitt. And I've decided that I, I, I don't hate Garth Brooks for now. He's re- he's earned my respect again. Yeah, man, me too. <laughs> yeah. Dude, this is Garth 2.0. When loving turns to parting, I'm always first to leave. When we agreed that we were going to start listening to Garth Brooks, I think we were both feeling hesitant. Mm-hmm. And then after listening to this first song, I was like, oh, yeah, this is this is good. This is could be actually maybe kind of fun. Like, That's actually exactly I feel like I I'm felt. uncovering a gem. Uh, and the electric guitar is like, bow, bow, bow. <laughs> like after every line, the thunder rolls, bow, 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 and the lightning spikes, bow, 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 another love goes cold. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just constantly, and it's very indulgent, and it's super fun. The thunder rolls, and the lightning strikes, another love goes cold on a sleepless night. Uh, actually, Brooks, the one of the people playing the guitar is one of the writers of the song. The other one is Brooks. And the session musicians, including the writer of the song, recorded the song live with no overdubs and no second take. Wow. This is the raw output, folks. That's just all, all, of, all of those tasty riffs were just right <laughs> off the dome? Yeah, right off the dome. <laughs> what the fuck? I know, right? This guy's a genius. Seems almost <laughs> unbelievable. A country genius. He puts on that, uh, his James Car- uh, his best James Taylor impression. His, his best James Carey impression. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Somebody stop me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> He's smoking. Represents the hard hat, gun rack, aching back, overtaxed, flag waving, fun loving crowd. Uh, some country music that I've heard, uh, modern country music, um, it's, it's just sort of all confirmation bias. Yeah. And it's just like sort of these like trigger words, like, uh, Jesus, Jesus tractor. (laughs) (laughs) That's my favorite metal band. Jesus on a, Jesus on a tractor. His neck was red as Alabama clay. Then the, the main line in the chorus is his neck was red as Alabama clay. I kind of like that. What? It's pretty good, pretty good s- simile. Oh uh, my god! Well, 
Them's fighting words. It's structured really strangely because the the last line of every chorus is, and they call the thing rodeo. Uh, yes. <laughs> as if he's just like submitting a dictionary definition or something, or like explaining to an alien that came down from space, like, what is this radio thing that you human beings do? I really wonder how many of his fans would be on board with this universe that this song plays, takes place in, where there's no God or destiny to oversee our random, senseless lives. Uh-huh. I think Sartre actually wrote, this is based on a poem by Sartre, I think. <laughs> back to back with the Rio Grande, the Christian woman in the devil's land. She learned the language and she learned to fight, but she never learned... Christian woman in the devil's land, that's, that's not self-aware, right? No, not at all. That's, that's just like really straight bad. up <laughs> colonialist, racist. Yeah, it's really yeah. bad. And I will sail my vessel the river There's lines like, I will dry. sail my vessel till the river runs dry. Like a bird upon the wind, these waters are my sky. I'll never reach my destination if I never try. So I will sail my vessel till the river runs dry. And I mean, I think those l- lyrics are printed on a fucking motivational poster somewhere. Um <laughs> But I guess this song is like some kind of extended metaphor about having dreams and chasing your dreams in your life. What? I mean, can yeah, I just help? get it? <laughs> it's a song about getting it. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, stop standing outside the fire. Subscribe and listen to Think Outside the Box Set on Apple Podcasts, boxset.website, or wherever podcasts are found. <laughs>